You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. Well, good morning, family. Great to be together. Very uh, grateful to be with you. And for those visiting, uh, welcome to the family. We're really grateful you're here as well. And you know, as a family, we, uh, we care and love each other deeply. And of course, God has led us to one another and put us in this family. And when there's needs in the family, we rally together as well. And uh, very recently, this past week, uh, a dear brother that was part of the West Side Ministry for many years, Jack Goldberg, passed away. So I want to take a moment before we begin the lesson to pray for Jack, to pray for the family. Uh, so if we can bow our heads and pray for them together. Father, we thank you for the many blessings we have in this life. And of course, being together and being family is one of them. And God, when we have a loss, we, we hurt and we grieve as a family. Those in the room who are close to Jack and his entire family, I know they're grieving right now. And Father, but we know also that it's a glorious thing when a saint passes away and goes home to be with you. So God, in that sense, we're inspired. We're proud of him. God, we want to be like him. We want to finish this race as he did. So God, we give you his spirit. God, we know that he's in good hands. And we're so grateful as well that his long suffering is done. But in the meantime, God, pray for those that are hurting right now, for his wife, Bridget, in particular, and the family. And God, please give them comfort. And God, help them to see things through your eyes and realize what a wonderful thing has happened for Jack. We love you. We give you this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, excited to be together today. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a very different service. We've been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. And in keeping with the Holy Spirit, which is unpredictable, ever-changing. You can't tame him. You can't domesticate him. The young marrieds have designed and are leading the service today, which of course is why I'm up here, obviously, right? So uh, everything you're going to see today was designed and will be led by the young marrieds. I'm here just for a little bit. I'm going to turn it over to them, but I really want you to uh, give you your heart, and they're an amazing group of people of great faith. You know, God's Spirit, we've been talking about that. God's Spirit has always been with His people. He's always led the people. We think even going back to the Old Testament times when God was there leading his people out of slavery in Egypt. And when he led them out, it said he actually led them. His spirit was in a cloud by day and by fire at night. So they'd always know where to go. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? To imagine like, God, man, which job do I take? And the cloud just hovers over that job. I guess I'm going that way. What college should I go to? And then the the fire goes over that. I guess I'm going there. And they had that ability and they were able to be in the presence of God's spirit that way. And they actually built a portable temple to him, the tabernacle. And God, this cloud would come and rest on that. His spirit would dwell there. And he was among his people and he would lead them. When they settled in in Jerusalem, they built a a proper temple and and said that God's Spirit dwelt in that temple, the Holy of Holies. God's temple lived there, so to speak, and the people lived around it. And people would travel from from long distances, they'd pilgrimage in just to be near His Spirit. They'd bring sacrifices to be able to be in a proper relationship with Him. Then Jesus came and, and changed everything. Jesus comes and has the audacity to claim that he is the temple. And God's spirit is living now in flesh in him. No longer confined to a building or to a place or to a cloud, but in the flesh. Walking among the people. Wouldn't that be incredible? 
Can you imagine that? Imagine Jesus being part of our church right now. Our minister. It'd be very easy to get people to church. Why would I go to your church? Well, our, our minister is the Son of God. Good point. We wouldn't have to share about kids programs. We wouldn't have to share about a great singles ministry or reality 19. Our selling point, Jesus, the son of God is our minister. Now we're grateful for the Lounsbury's coming and being part of our staff and leading the church, but Jesus would be better. I don't want to hurt their feelings, but let's just be honest. If his resume kicked in on disciples today, you're like, so it says you're the son of God. I think you're qualified. Do you know your Bible? Oh, you are the Word. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that works. You know, as much as we would love for Him to be with us and to lead us and to walk among us and fellowship with us, our church, our fellowship would be hopping, right? As much as we want that, as much as we think that would be better, Jesus actually wouldn't agree. The Bible says this in John 16. As Jesus is telling everybody He's about to leave, that He's about to leave this earth and of course, his disciples are freaking out. What do you mean you're leaving? And he makes this statement. It says, it is for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus makes the claim, it's actually better if I go. It's better if I'm not here anymore. And that the Holy Spirit comes instead. Now, it sounds like a ridiculous statement. How in the world can that be better? How could that be better than having Jesus in the room at the vets right now? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 3. You yourselves are God's temple. And God's spirit lives in you. How is it better? How is it better than Christ being here? How is it better than a cloud leading us? How is it better than having a temple to go to? Because God's Spirit is not leading us from ahead. It's not limited to a cloud or a fire. God's Spirit is not confined to a place anymore. We don't have to go to a temple to be near it anymore. God's Spirit is not even walking among us in one man in Christ. God's Holy Spirit is in you. And you, and you, and me. It's no longer in one place. It's in all of us. When we come to church, we don't come to the temple. As much as we try to dress it up, that's a basketball court behind me. <laughs> this is not the temple. We don't come to a place to be in the presence of God's Spirit. We don't come here to be near His Spirit. When we come together, we bring the temple together. Person by person, brick by brick, built up with Jesus Christ Himself as the chief cornerstone. We are the temple. Each one of us is part of it. When we come together, we unite the Holy Spirit living in each one of us and we unleash an unparalleled power when we're together. So no wonder Jesus makes promises like this. In John 14, he says, Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater 
things than these. That we can do even greater things than Jesus ever did. That's a promise because of the Holy Spirit. He says in Matthew 18, If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's church right there. When we ask God for things together, when we're together on this, when we we present things to Him, that's amazing. He'll give us anything. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Think about that. Not when you're alone, but when you come together. Jesus is there. He's here today. He's with us every time we meet. At the vets, at the park, at a house, doesn't matter where we go. When we combine together and the Holy Spirit is with us, Jesus is there. And then he sums it up with this statement, nothing will be impossible for you. There's nothing we cannot do with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing we cannot do when we join together as a church. The Spirit of the church moving in us, combining the temples together, the Holy Spirit in all of us combined, we can do anything because God is with us. My wife and I have had the great privilege of working with the young marrieds for the last couple months here, and they're, they're, they're a joy. We are so proud of them. And I want to give them an opportunity to say they're going to be coming up, several couples, and come up and just share some things with you that the Holy Spirit has shown them, that they're learning. And I pray that their faith will encourage you, inspire you, and build up yours because they have so much to offer us. I'd like to introduce to you Scott and Linda Ross. morning, church. My name is Scott Ross, and this is my beautiful wife, Linda. We are blessed to be here with you today to share our story of how God has worked in our lives to bring us to him and to reconcile us to one another. Linda and I met six and a half years ago while stationed in Omaha, Nebraska with the Air Force. While both of us would have checked the box marked Christian if asked on a survey, neither one of us had strong faith, convictions, or a Christian community that we belonged to. As such, our dating relationship was pretty worldly. Shortly after we started dating, the Air Force moved me to Japan while Linda remained in Omaha, so we dated long distance. We got married in December of 2013, but it wasn't until a year later that we were both able to be stationed in Northern Virginia and live together. For the first few months, everything was great, and it was nice to finally be living together. But unfortunately, Linda and I also started falling into bad habits quickly. We developed an intensely codependent relationship focused on our individual happiness and our insecurities. We had no good counseling or guidance on how to resolve problems, so I decided to just stuff my emotions and do whatever I could to keep Linda happy. These habits may have been accelerated by being apart for so long, life in a new city, not having a strong support system, and not having a real conviction about purpose and God. Slowly, I began feeling frustrated, bitter, and depressed that I could not meet Linda's needs, and we were both becoming increasingly unstable. I remember late-night arguments and times when both of us would leave in frustration. 
As things got even more out of control, I started having tremors and panic attacks, which was strange because I had no problem going through some of the Air Force's most intense training. I'm sure that many people here can relate to just how hard marriage is. And some may even know how much harder it is without God. I remember feeling utterly trapped and hopeless in life. I felt like a failure as a husband and even as a human being. I thought about wanting to die almost daily, and I even acted on it a few times. But by the grace of God, I did not succeed. Linda and I started seeking counseling both individually and as a couple, and we even started going to church occasionally. But it was ineffective in my mind, and I felt like we were never going to be able to have a healthy relationship. I decided to leave Linda in April of 2016. I secretly packed my stuff. I told her I was seeking a divorce, and I left. Growing up, many things came easy to me, and life was good. I grew up in Hawaii, so life really was paradise. But for some reason, I always felt like something was missing. I believed in God, but did not have any sense of what that really meant. I tried to fill that void with many things, rebelling against my parents as a teen, experimenting with alcohol and drugs, and distracting myself with boys. I even decided to go to the Air Force Academy because part of me thought taking such a unique path in life would be the answer. After Scott and I got married, I thought I had figured it out. After you get married, it's happily ever after, right? We soon realized this was not the case. As Scott mentioned, our relationship soon became unhealthy and codependent, and we began idolizing each other in different ways. Without God to turn to or help navigating the struggles of newlywed life, I wasn't able to process my feelings in a healthy way and even ended up putting a lot of my emotional needs on Scott. Combined with how he internalized both our emotions, we were creating a real recipe for disaster and were increasingly on different pages with how things were going in our marriage. When Scott left, my life was shattered. I had made him my whole world, and with that suddenly gone, I felt scared, lost, and disoriented. It was during this time that I really felt a strong desire to seek God. I started reading the Bible for the first time in my life and started attending church seriously. I needed something bigger that would give me even a glimmer of hope that everything would be okay. Ironically, in the darkest time of my life, I began to feel true peace for the first time. I realized that void I had been trying to fill my whole life could only be filled by God. This pursuit of God, as well as getting professional help, was the only thing that got me through each day. Despite Scott making it clear he was done and the divorce papers were coming any day, I continued to pray that God would change his heart and work a miracle. After leaving, I felt better, but I was still plagued by anger and bitterness over my experiences. However, God never gave up on me. A few months after leaving Linda, I was introduced to our church up in Flagstaff, Arizona, I was taken aback by how genuine and loving the small group of disciples was. I remember thinking that these people were not just the hokey actors that I was used to seeing on Sunday. They genuinely cared about me and even wanted to connect outside of church. One day, at a church camping trip, I started talking with the church leader, Ken Burford. I felt like once I started talking, I just could not stop. I ended up telling my life story and all of the shame and bitterness that I was holding on to. I was surprised that he actually listened, cared, and offered to study the Bible with me. After the first two studies, I started to realize how shallow my relationship and understanding of God really was. Ken and I studied every day for two weeks before I decided to get baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection and make him my Lord. 
I will always be grateful to God that his spirit worked through Ken and through those studies to reach me, because I probably would not be alive today otherwise. The interesting thing about making Jesus Lord and being in his kingdom is that he expects to be obeyed. In order to move forward, I had to reach out to Linda and repent of some of the things that happened in our marriage. And the future only seemed to hold two options according to scripture. Reconciling the marriage or being single for the rest of my life. And I'll be completely honest. Even though I was now a Christian, I did not hold much hope for reconciliation. I was still filled with bitterness and mistrust. However, God was still incredibly patient with me and willing to work with me as long as I pursued him. I eventually reached out to Linda and referred her to the Northern Virginia Church. The fact that Linda actually listened and followed through despite all that I had put her through by leaving says a lot about her. Those stories where things just get fixed immediately are always nice, but that's not our story. The next two years were filled with attempts at counseling, working through forgiveness, trying to understand our mistakes in the past, and improving our communication. I was still struggling with doubts and fears, and we even had to take a break when things got too overwhelming. When Scott reached out to me six months after he left, I was shocked, overjoyed, and confused all at the same time. But but what he had said was not what I was expecting. He told me he had become a Christian, so we had to try and reconcile because God said so, making it clear not because he loved me or wanted to. This sounded crazy and left me conflicted because who wants to be in a loveless marriage? But God convicted me not to give up and be patient with Scott. I prayed for so long that God would work in our situation, and if this was the answer for now, I had to hang on to that hope. Over the next two years, there were lots of hopeless and frustrating times. Despite not wanting to be back together, Scott was eager to introduce me to what it meant to truly be a Christian. He put me in touch with a woman at the Northern Virginia Church who I immediately clicked with. Alan Gloria Baird's daughter, Stacy Aitman, Sue became a dear friend and mom to me, and most importantly, helped me to understand what it meant to truly follow Christ. On June 8, 2017, I decided I wanted to make Jesus Lord of my life and was baptized. Last summer, Linda and I started reading Francis Chan's book, You and Me Forever, and it was like a light bulb went off. God's intent for our marriage was to work towards being with him for eternity, not in having a happy marriage. But if we pursue God first, a happy marriage will be the result. Eventually, Linda and I were able to work through our past marriage issues, and we agreed to see each other in person for the first time in over two years this last August. That weekend, God helped me to open my heart. In September, I left my life in Flagstaff to be back together with Linda, and we moved to L.A. in November. In Matthew 17:20, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. To be honest, there were many times in our separation that I had little to no faith we could reconcile. Scott's heart was so hard that no amount of repentance from me seemed to matter. Our relationship was basically dead from a human perspective. But God works beyond what our eyes can see and had more in store for us. Thankfully, he put many amazing disciples in my life who encouraged me to listen to the Holy Spirit and hang on to that conviction to not give up, even when the world said to move on. They urged me to continue clinging on to God's promises and love and trust that he would show me the next steps in his perfect time. Since being together again, things have not always been easy. We have had to navigate moving across the country, family issues, looking for a job, and much more. But despite these challenges, our marriage has been better than I ever could have imagined. 
And I know that it has almost everything to do with God and the power of his spirit moving to reconcile each of us to him and also to one another. I want to thank God for his love, his patience, and his persistence in reaching us and reconciling us. We are so blessed to experience such a miracle from God. I want to thank the church, especially in Arizona and Northern Virginia, and the Bairds for loving us despite our baggage and for telling us the truth, not what the world was saying. And I want to thank my incredible wife for her patience with me, her pursuit of God, and her growth in so many areas. God's love for us is incredible, and we see that on the cross, but we still see his spirit moving today. I know that there are many people here who probably have similar stories to us, and there are probably a lot of people who are struggling with feelings of hopelessness. I hope that you can know without a doubt that God is always working in our lives. Life may not turn out as we hope or plan, but God has a better plan. And his spirit moves to bring you closer to him and closer to one another if we let it. Thank you for letting us share, and we love you all. Can you all hear me? Good. Good morning, church. Uh, How about another round of applause for Scott and Linda? I mean, that was very, very vulnerable sharing. And while we're at it, let's keep it going. How about a round of applause for us for having to go after that? Um, My name is David Johnson. This is my wife, Danny. Same last name. Um, We are married. We've been married about three years. And uh, we wanted to share about our experience in that. So I'm going to let my wife go first. Good morning. So, like David said, my name is Danny, and uh, also like Scott and Linda shared, I think we're told that marriage, when you first get married, is going to be this fairy tale, happy ever after, you know, this utter bliss. And I think while our marriage has been awesome, I thought we were going to live in that fairy tale um, insulated bubble for like 5, 10, 15, 20, our whole life, really. I didn't think hardships would come so quickly. But as many of you probably know, life has a different plan. Things are going to happen along the way, whether you're ready for them or not. And so I always thought, okay, in the distance, not now. And you would think I would have a different perspective, given that when I was 16, my brother passed away, and at age 21, I almost died twice. So you would think that I would be a little bit more equipped, but I was in this idea of it's going to be blissful, and... David truly is my best friend, and our marriage has been wonderful with great times. But hardships have come, and I'm sure many of you will be able to relate. We lost jobs. We've changed careers. We've had financial burden. At many points, we barely had two sons to rub together, and we became very accustomed to going to the Johnson's house for dinner and doing our laundry um, and eating PB&J for dinner. Our good friend lived next door to us um, and suddenly died of a heart attack, and we watched the coroner remove his body from our apartment building. David was in a bike accident where he was flown over the handlebars and endured a concussion and a broken elbow. Thankfully, it wasn't worse. Our friends have moved away, leaving us feeling lonely at times. And currently, some of our best friends are on the brink of divorce due to infidelity in their marriage. And lastly, but certainly not least, most recently, I went, I found a mass in my throat and went to the doctor and randomly called me to say, oh, hey, it could be cancer. Don't worry, though. 
I'm like, uh, <laughs> what? Uh, don't just throw the C word out like that. Um, so that was quite nerve-wracking. And then we had to wait about two months to find out, is it truly cancer or is it not? Thankfully, it's not, but I still have to have surgery next month. So while we've been facing these hurdles and challenging times, we've also been learning how to be married and how to live together and how to be one and united. But through it all, though, God has been so graceful and so and has been leading us through his spirit towards growth and surrender. I really honestly wouldn't change anything because I feel closer to David than ever and closer to God. God has really shown himself in new ways and in these little moments and has been encouraging us along the way. Thank you. I was told to bring the mic closer. Can you guys hear me? Cool. Um, I think the hardest part of these painful moments for me is has been learning to trust in God's timing. The Christian walk is often compared to as a journey, a path, something that we walk along, we're traveling along. But in these analogies, at least for myself, there's this idea that I'm going somewhere. I might be struggling or stumbling, but I'm moving, and I'm moving forward. There's a direction. And to have this idea of waiting and truly trusting is a new and uncomfortable challenge for me. It's forced me to genuinely surrender. Um, Sorry, moving closer to the mic. Um, And trust that God is leading us towards and through his spirit. Because I'm often tempted to take things into my own hands and take over control. And while I wait... I'm left to marinate on all the things I'd like change. I'm waiting to heal from a concussion. I'm waiting for the broken arm to heal for a frozen shoulder. Waiting on clarity with my job. Uh, waiting to see how the marriage plays out with our friends. In the lives of our families, having hard times. And finally, I'm waiting to hear about my wife, who is very sick at times. And it's hard because I like to be doing things, but I think more importantly, it's hard for me to feel like I can't do anything. Um... For me, I, I kind of came up with this analogy, which it's been used before, but it feels like traffic at the beginning of a long road trip, you know, before you've really even gotten anywhere. And after a while, you could resolve yourself to keep waiting, or if you're me, you could look for the next rest stop to get snacks and stop for a pee break. <laughs> because that feels like at least I'm doing something. Sorry if that analogy was a little inappropriate. I'm operating off of Ken Chow's playbook. Um, <laughs> You only get one shot. Uh, But it's at times like this where I would remove God from my decisions and grasp really at my own control. I would never be foolish enough to say this out loud, but in my actions I'm saying, yes, Lord, I hear you calling me, but my family needs me, and I have my own interests, and I just can't go further down this road right now because I don't know where I'm going. And it's easy in these moments, at least for myself, to become self-centered in a place like that. And the one thing I began to see in myself is, is a bad habit emerging. I would go to God for something from him and not for a relationship with God himself. And it's an important difference, and I don't think I'm alone in this sentiment. In my selfishness, I'm essentially saying, no, Lord, I don't want you. I want myself. But while you're healed, will you answer me? Will you heal me? Will you clean me? 
and fill me with your Holy Spirit, I'm asking for myself to be on display, and that's not how it should be. And I mentioned this before that I think this is a familiar narrative. Because it's easy to define ourselves by a word and forget the actions behind it. Oh, I'm a Christian, so therefore I've surrendered to God. And operating under this false impression, too many Christians become content, running their own lives and making their own decisions, having the reins of life placed firmly in their control. And during this time, I was really grateful for people like Rick Meckhamson. Uh, he really did help steer me back in love and encouragement, along with his wife, Heather. They've shown us incredible love. At this point, we spent hours on the phone and in person together. You know, the most incredible and underrated leadership traits that he possesses in spades is he just really listens. He's acknowledged that, you know, while you're waiting <clears throat> during this time, God uses times like this even to develop patience, to develop faith in my character. But he went further to remind me, especially when I was having a hard time with my job and really ready for change, that I'm a Christian. I'm operating on a different playing field than the rest of my peers. And this change in operational focus has been huge for me. But what does that mean, operational focus? It means like the scripture mentions, that despite a world of contradiction for my commitment to God, it's still supreme. It's my surrender and my commitment to him, not my own will, that enables victory. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, and trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. And as I come to understand this scripture, it takes a lot of the burden off of me in trying to will myself into this next phase of life. I can understand these times as building towards the next step, and I can serve those around me in the meantime. This job, this life, this time, even right now, it's, it's all temporal. And the problem is that our desire for control masks that as we struggle to focus on anything else. I guess the takeaway point, I'd like to remind everyone, if I could give one point, is to give mindful attention to how we walk with God. Because it is of the utmost importance to feel these things that trouble us. But then there comes a time, too, to process them with God and not around him and to move through our pain and to allow it to become the power of our strength. God has you and he's leading you. But do you trust him enough to follow? Thank you, guys. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. Uh, my name is Corey Wadstrom, and this is my wife, Jacqueline. Um, and first off, I would like to say I love our Young Marrieds group. Like, doing this service together just kind of, like, every time I hear Scott and Linda's story, I just, like, well up with tears. Um, and they left a lot out, so you should you should talk with them. Their story's amazing. Um, but, um, yeah, today we're going to guide you guys um, with contribution and kind of guide our thoughts with that. And uh, so if you guys could turn to Matthew 26, 26, we're going to be reading from there. And I love this passage of um, the Lord's Supper uh, because it has like a few extra details in it. Um, I'll go ahead and read. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, 
Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Um, And I think, yeah, like the Lord's Supper is kind of the blueprint of communion that Jesus left for us. And there's a few cool things that we can notice from it, right? Like he's with his best friends. They've been together for three years. They're eating together. They're drinking together. And they sing a song. They go to the communion place together. Um, the, The disciples set it up. And then they leave. And then they go to the Mount of Olives. So they're always together. And I think that there's some godly wisdom to the design that he left us with this um, in this way. Like Jesus left us the blueprint for communion in a specific time at a spe- in a specific way to do it. And uh, I wanted to share a few things in my life uh, and to maybe, um, you know, draw a conclusion as to maybe why he did this this way. Um, a few weeks ago, Mufid came and spoke with us. I don't know how many of you guys were there, but it was an awesome service. And it was so good to see him again. Because when I was 19, I went on a mission team to Lebanon uh, for a one-year challenge. And he was uh, our leader there. And actually, um, Steve came and lived with us for 10 days. So that was awesome when he came here to lead. Um, But yeah, so I lived in Lebanon. And when I was in Lebanon on this mission team, it was some of the greatest times I've ever had in my life. I felt so spiritually connected to God. I was praying every single day, like for so long. I was reading so much of the Bible. I felt so connected to the church. Um, and I felt just like I was in uh, my best friend's lives and we were kind of glued together. And the way that we did church was we, the mission team lived in the city and the church was up in the mountains. Um, and so what we did is we would, you know, wake up, we would take a taxi or a cab or, or like ride with somebody if we could or take a bus. And we would go to church. We'd do regular church. We'd have, you know, a sermon. We would uh, take communion there. We would have a, you know, good time of singing. And, and then after is kind of really when it got great. After church, the whole mission team uh, and some of our great disciple friends, we would all go to this one family's house. And the family, their name was the Faras. And the mom was, like, the best cook ever. Like, she she was, she was, knew exactly what she was doing. Like, we would come to her house and stuff would already be ready. Like, it was cooking while we were at church. She just, like, knew how to... She was, she was amazing. And um, we, would, we would come to the house and we would sit at a giant square table, all of us. We would just smush together in this giant square table and we would eat together. And we'd pray together. And it was amazing. And then we dedicated that whole day to each other. And so we were in their apartment for the entire day until the sun went down and we had to like get a bus home. But we would, during that time, we would, you know, pray together. Sometimes we would go out, we'd have a quiet time together. Sometimes, uh, you know, we would go and have deep conversations or we'd watch movies and just joke around and have a great time. And you know, we grew so close so quickly in that time of singing and eating and just being together that I, it really can, I really connect with this, uh, Last Supper passage because, you know, the disciples, they were eating together. They were in each other's lives. They were drinking together. And I think that there's a spiritual wisdom behind being in each other's lives and together. 
And um, my wife is going to share a little bit about uh, her thoughts on communion. Yes. Hi, I'm Jacqueline. Um, And so, yeah, we moved to L.A. about eight months ago. And this was the first time as young marrieds that we had moved churches. So the only time I had moved was to go to San Diego for college, which is where I met him and we got married. And then I think moving here... um, as he was talking, you know, and preparing to share this, it clicked with me. Like, he lived in Lebanon for about eight months, and he felt like these people were his best friends, and he was so invested in his church community there. And we've lived here eight months, and it's been um, challenging. And I think I've learned a lot about how moving into a new church, you don't just automatically necessarily have that sense of depth and closeness and family. You have to invest time and invest in each other and get that special time together and build those relationships and develop that trust to really have that sense of family. And so um, I think that we've been building that, and that's been really amazing, and I'm super grateful to the Meckhamsons for what they've been investing in our young marrieds and helping foster that sense of family. And um, Rick is so funny and great. He has an algorithm for how we're each going to like go on dates with a new couple every week and get time. But I really feel the impact it's been having on our group because um, we're getting to know each other's stories and we're getting to build that sense of family and we're communing with each other outside of just church on Sundays and it's had such an impact. And so um, I think that the communing that we're doing outside of church is helping us build our community And so today, we're going to be doing communion a little bit differently, and we're going to have time to personally reflect, but we're also going to have time to eat together and break bread and get to share with one another about how Christ has impacted our lives and what the cross means to us. And I think that as young Marys, we've just felt that it's so important that we really are in each other's lives and that um, we let the Holy Spirit guide us to try new things, to be connected to one another in new ways. And so I'm really excited for today. Um, and so kind of a breakdown of what we're going to do. Um, oh, yeah, right there. Um, so we're going to have a song, which Corey's going to introduce. And after that, we're going to have um, Tori and Charlie, who are singing, are going to pray. But We're going to have individual time where we can sit and reflect um, personally. And then after we have that time, as people feel ready, you're going to head behind us. And there's tables set up that have the bread and the juice there, and you can take communion. Um, And then we're going to have just a time where as people make their way back there, everyone's just going to stay back there. And then there's going to be time where you can meet someone new, you can connect, and you can talk with them about what the cross means to you. There's snacks back there and refreshments. And so we're just going to have the communion continue on, and service will be dismissed. And we just kind of want communion to be (laughs) something that is communal. And so that's kind of the goal of today, is to meet someone new and fellowship and take that personal connection that you have with Jesus and mirror that in your relationships with one another and really build that depth with one another. So... Corey's going to share it one more. Yeah, so this type of communion, it's a little bit different from how we've done before. Usually you take the bread and the juice and then you reflect. We're kind of going to do it backwards. So uh, you guys can take some time to self-reflect. Um, and then we're going to head. You can't see it, but behind us are just awesome tables. Everything's been set up really beautifully. And there's on the tables is the communion. And then, like my wife shared, we're just going to end it there. And you guys can fellowship for as long as you want. And um, 
to meet somebody new and make a new connection. But before that, we're going to have a song, a special song uh, by Charlie and Tori Long. And then Charlie's going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll be dismissed for communion. Um, so yeah, please welcome Charlie and Tori Long. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.